Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Ephesians 5, 1-20 Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, but because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. While I pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that it's living and active. And we pray for Maffie that you'd fill him with your spirit to speak to us and fill us with your spirit to give us willing ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, Does anybody hear of Netflix? Yeah, you got a show of hands of two people. Okay, so um, see, I have Netflix as well, and this is kind of like a ministry opportunity. So I have a few friends up home who are too tight to pay for Netflix, so I just give them my login. So if, if any of you guys want to use, use my login, then, then come see me afterwards. But anyway, the, the reason that I mention Netflix is quite a simple one. So uh, Emma, my wife, uh, and I love to watch a couple of series on Netflix just to procrastinate and avoid other things. But the thing is, whenever Emma goes to school and I do some work from home, uh, there's a temptation to stick on another episode. And I know that the the two of us have watched episodes one, two, and three together. And then I go and watch four, five, and six on my own. And then Emma comes home and I I turn it on again and flip we're in episode seven. (laughs) How the heck did we get there? And so essentially then my job is I have to bring her up to speed. 
And so there, there's a purpose to me telling you this. So I, I want to recap in the past two weeks. I want to bring us all up to speed. If you haven't been here in the past couple of weeks, then hopefully by the end of the recap, in the same way Emma is brought up to speed with our Netflix series, you guys will be brought up to speed as well. So when we, when, when we read Ephesians 1 to 3, uh, we're, we're to be in awe, absolute awe of the magnitude of this new life in Christ we've been given. Uh, simply because of God's grace, it's lavished on us. And so the, uh, these are the, the indicatives showing what God has done, indicating what God has done for us, which is followed by a therefore. And, uh, and any time we see a therefore in the Bible, we always have to ask, what is it therefore? Unreal, amen to that. Yeah, so whenever we read the imperatives of Ephesians 4 to 6, um, then we'll begin to understand why we are to live righteously and why we will live righteously and understand then why we actually want to. And then by God's grace, we actually will. And so over the past two Sundays, Steve has showed us, um, Paul, or Steve has showed uh, us how Paul calls a church in Ephesians to a new way of life, a new way of living, and not only um, union in Christ, but communion with Christ. And remember, also becoming a Christian is like being given a shot of cortisone when you're an Addison sufferer, or being given an EpiPen if you have a nut allergy. And then afterwards, not only is Christ as our anchor, but Christ is also our engine. He's the one that enables us uh, to become like him. And so Paul is essentially saying that if you know this, then, then there are clothes that we must remove, and there's clothes that we must put on. And so this brings us to chapter 5. So essentially, that's, that's a catch-up, that's a recap. And now we're at chapter 5. The implication is this, we are motivated the implication is this, we are motivated to live righteously out of gratitude for and by virtue of what God has already done. Guys, if you remember absolutely nothing that I say in the next two hours, then remember, remember this sentence. Back one, my bad. Well, so as people, as people we're always walking, we're, we're always walking in some direction, but the question is where to? And so our motivation will determine our direction. Our motivation will determine our direction. These are the three, uh, three ideas I want us to consider uh, the, this afternoon. Uh, to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. And as we do this, I want to try and ex expound a couple of motivations, a couple of heart motivations that will really show our, our heart's desire um, for actually following Jesus. Is our heart's desire because we want to please our church leaders? Is it because we want to look better in social media? Uh, and so I, I, I hope that today... Um, we're, we're challenged to actually follow Jesus because of what he's done and not because some guy at the front tells you to. Walk in love, um, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, on your handouts, it'll, it'll say live a life of love. and another version, it says to walk in love. And so um, throughout this talk where it says love, uh, I just want you to think walk. Uh, so walk in love. In other words, that because of God's gracious attitude and generous actions towards us in Jesus, he calls us to imitate that, to actually do that, to walk as he walked. Um, I, I used to wear that band, WWJD, what, what would Jesus do? And, you know, that's, some people laugh at it, some think it's cool. Do you know what? I wonder if it actually says WAJD instead of WWJD. Uh, walk as Jesus did, maybe it would be a little bit more applicable. 
I remember being at a conference one time and there's a Christian comedian, and so he had two, two, two bands on his wrists, and one of them says, serve in God's kindness, and then the other one says, pray regularly at all times. And I thought, oh, that's great. And then he held up his hands and it actually said, sick prat on it. And I figured, you know, I'll just stick with the WWJD band. But the reality is that we become like those that we spend time with, don't we? Yeah, we become like those we spend time with. And it's only natural to take on words, to take on phrases, to take on ideas. And we, we become like-minded with someone more we're with them. And somebody that goes by the name Anonymous, I don't know who'd call their kid Anonymous, but somebody who goes by the name Anonymous once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And the reality is Jesus laid aside all earthly desires for the will of the Father. He says in John 6, I have come, uh, I've come down not to do my will, but to do the, the will of the one who sent me. Jesus' direction was determined by his motivation. Jesus had his eye on the Father, and as a result, his motivation came from the Father. And so in verse 2, it says that, that Christ gave himself up. See that, that word, gave himself up? In English, it's so simple, it just says, gave himself up. But the, the very same verb for self-giving here in verse 2 is found in Ephesians 4.19. And we went through that two weeks ago. When Paul speaks of the Gentiles having become callous, having given themselves up to sensuality, giving themselves up to, to greed and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so essentially, uh, as the letter has been read to the church in Ephesus, you, you've got this, this exact phrase that's mentioned twice in a complete parallel. And so in the same way that those non-Christian Gentiles in the city of Ephesus gave themselves up to sinful desires, Paul's encouraging the Christians and encouraging us even to model Christ, to learn Christ, to put on Christ to imitate Christ, giving ourselves not to sin, but to holiness. It's an issue of desire. It's an issue of desire. If we're not so satisfied in Christ, then we'll seek pleasure elsewhere. Amen? Amen. If we're not so satisfied in Christ, we will seek satisfaction elsewhere. Immediately after, Paul turns around and he says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talking, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Wow. Paul goes from commanding self-sacrifice to self-indulgence. It seems that Paul's setting the bar incredibly high here. I'm, I'm sitting reading this in my preparation. I'm thinking, oh man, Paul's setting the bar so high. And he's essentially saying, don't, don't joke about sex, but give thanks for it. Don't, 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 make, it, uh, don't, don't make it something that, that you joke about. Don't lessen it. But actually give thanks for it. He sets such a, such a high bar, such a holy standard. And, and you know, the reality is Paul's writing this to a church in a city uh, that has been completely sexualized. A church in a city where a temple was in place to worship the great goddess Artemis, who's also known as Diana of the Ephesians. So she, this, this goddess essentially is a goddess of fertility. And so there would have been orgies. Uh, in the temple, there would have been icons, sexual icons, that are essentially there. And you, and you have people coming in, and you have people having orgies. You have people just engaging in a sexual promiscuity in order to try and find fulfillment and, and to worship this fake goddess. 
And you know, while we mightn't have that in, in such an extreme way, maybe we do in our media, maybe we do in our social media, maybe we do in the sides of buses, maybe we do in our workplaces. But what Paul and Jesus is, are doing here is calling the Ephesians and calling Christ City Church in Dublin to set a real high standard, to set, a, set the bar so high, not that we can't attain to it, but so high so that so we could actually live self-sacrificial lives rather than self-indulgent lives. Self-sacrificial lifestyles instead of self-indulgent lifestyles. Paul isn't trying to cheapen grace. Paul's not trying to cheapen sex. He's not trying to caramelize it, but he's rather trying to redeem it. He's trying to redeem it. He's trying to elevate it. He's trying to teach the church to take a real holy view of it and set sex in its rightful place as one of God's, goods, God's good gifts. And so I, I think this will bring us then to one of our first of these two motivations. First motivation is that it's not fitting. Uh, and, and the handout, it says it's, not, it's, it's improper. Um, the version I was using, it says it is not fitting for God's people. It's not fitting as mentioned both three and four. And so what's he saying? What's he saying? Paul is pleading with the church to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. He doesn't want more legal obedience. He's not, he's not saying it just, just so that they can be, um, be obedient out of a legalistic attitude. Paul's actually getting to the heart of the matter here. And do you know why? Because if Paul was being legalistic, he, he could say to them uh, that it's, it's not fitting for you because the 10th the commandment says, thou shall not covet your neighbor's wife or thou shall not covet. Paul could have said that. He could have used the 10th commandment to justify why it's improper. <laughs> but the funny thing is, these 10 commandments were given to show how sinful the, the God's people were. And Paul isn't doing that here. He's not doing it to try and make them guilty. He's not doing it to try and show how sinful they are. But he's actually trying to redeem it. No, Paul actually says it's improper, not out of a legalistic attitude, because, but he actually wants to get to the heart of it. He wants to get to the heart of obedience. Paul's not looking for legalism, but he's looking for heart obedience. I, I sincerely hope that, that phrase, some of you here, or, or maybe you serve out of a legalistic attitude because you have to. I want to tell you, Jesus wants us to, to serve and he wants us to follow him, not out of legalism, but out of a heart obedience. And so sanctification moves us. Sanctification moves each of us to become more like Jesus and it begins in our hearts and it begins in our minds. And in renewing these, Paul is revealing a greater purpose for sex. He's, he's revealing a greater purpose for purity. And he's actually encouraging a response of thanksgiving, not of, not of joking. He's encouraging a response of thanksgiving, not an abuse of it. And so the second motivation can be in verse, found in verses 5 and 6. Uh, For of this you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Wow. Motivation two, the certainty of judgment. And I, I don't know what your experience is when it comes to, to, to preachers preaching on judgment. If it's something that, that you've been scared about, if it's been something you've been threatened with. Um, I, I, I don't want to lose you here. I really don't want to lose you. But the reality of this passage is that is one day we'll all face judgment before God. We'll all, face, we'll all face God face to face. And as God enacts his judgment, he'll look at every one of us 
And they'll either see Jesus or else they'll see people who rejected Jesus. I want to tell you, judgment shouldn't be used as a scare tactic. And if that's your experience, I really hope that today it changes that. That judgment shouldn't be used as a scare tactic. But it actually should be thought of soberly. Because the reality is that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the grace of God has been lavished upon us so that whenever God judges us, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't see our sin. He actually sees that, that those who follow him are actually as white as snow. That, that song, Cornerstone, is phenomenal. I, I, I screw up every single week. And the beauty of God's grace is that one day Jesus will look at me and see, and see himself. God will look at me and see Jesus. He'll look at somebody and see, see righteousness. Wow, that, that is, that's incredible judgment. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I want, I want you to hear me in this. Whenever I, whenever I read this, whenever I prepared for this, my heart is broken. Because I, I, I see the futility in, in my mind at times. I see my sin. I see how often I screw up. I don't want to stand here as somebody who's, who's high and mighty and taller than most of you people. If you stood up, you definitely would be taller than me. But the reality is that I am in the process of being made new and so are you. I want that to be an encouragement and not a threat. And you know, there's two types of responses to this. One of them says, oh no, I've screwed up. Oh crap, I can't go near God. Oh no, I've screwed up. I've fallen so short, I, I can't look at God. He's the last person I want to go to. Then there's the other response. Oh no, I've screwed up. I've fallen so short, I need to run to God. Do you see the difference? You know what? Sometimes sin will either cause us to run to God or cause us to run from God. You know, it's so easy to run from God. That's, that's what Adam done. Adam and Eve ran from God. They, 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 they wore the, the, uh, the, the leaves. Whenever you see the, the, the pictures in the kids' book and you see the, the three leaves over the ladies and the one leaf over the man, and it's, it's kind of funny. But the reality is that, that, that Adam and Eve ran from God because of their sin rather than to him. But because of what Jesus has done for us, the greater Adam, we can actually run to God. And so what Paul is saying here is that, that those who continually, who, who continue to live consciously in sin will live in a way that's not fitting for God's people and will have no inheritance in God's kingdom and will be cut off from the kingdom of heaven. Paul isn't advocating for Christians to cut themselves off from sinful people. And hear this, God isn't advocating Christians to cut themselves off from sinful people, but he's advocating Christians to, to, to cut themselves off from sinful behavior. There's such a difference in that. Paul starts off with commanding the, behave, the, the Christians to walk in love, to behave in a way uh, that, that's in line with love, and to do away with selfish indulgences. And the heart behind this walk, the motivation behind this walk, is firstly because it's not fitting, and secondly because of the common judgment. So walk in love. Secondly, walk in light. Verses uh, 8 to 14. Paul continues and he goes on to say, For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. I want to say it again. You were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. So live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why, it's, why it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I, I, you know what, I think one of the, the, the main reasons 
that uh, like Christians don't make it in this world. That some Christians don't make it. Uh, why some Christians backslide is because of a view that the world is a playground rather than a battleground. I, I think some Christians, and, and the reality is there are some of you that are here uh, that, that, that may not make it, that, that may backslide. And, and I think one of the main reasons is because, because we, we see the world as a playground rather than a battleground. You know, in chapter 5, Paul is now using these imperatives to equip a mature in church for war, for battle. And so if you notice how strong Paul's language is here, he, he goes on to say, you were once darkness. He didn't say you, you were in darkness, which might make sense. It actually sounds like it makes more sense. You were in the darkness, now you're in the light. But he actually goes on to say, you were once darkness. You were darkness. And so Paul's next reason isn't based any longer on the, on the future, the coming judgment. But, but Paul's next reason is actually on the, on the past and the present. Paul is making a heavy statement here. He's making a statement saying, not only has our environment changed, but your lives have also changed with it. It's not a case of going from the temple of Artemis to church. It's not a case of going from sexual promiscuity to, to, to no sexual promiscuity. But in fact, everything has changed. The mind has changed. The heart has changed. Paul's reiterating here again that, that you can have union in Christ. Therefore, you should seek communion with Christ. And I, I want to tell you, Let's, let's maybe try and, and point the light. Let's try and shine the light at our relationships. Let's try and shine the light at our jobs. Let's try and shine our light, or the, the light of God on our habits, on our goals, on our, on our motivations. You know, whenever, whenever I go to bed, usually I, I, I want to go away bit later than Emma because she's up earlier in the morning. And so whenever I come in and the room's in darkness, if I turn on the light, I'm in trouble. So I have to just use the light on my phone. And the thing is, whenever I use a light in my phone, it only illuminates one thing, and that's, that's my face. Whenever you, you, you shine the light, it only illuminates one thing. Everything else is still in darkness. Allow the Word of God to be pointed at your relationships, at your, at your, your emotions, at your career, at your actions, how you actually respond to things. And allow the words of God to illuminate and shape all these aspects. You know, I, I, in my early 20s, I was hot-headed, I was rash. I had such a zeal and a passion for the gospel, but the flip side of that is I, I spoke my mind too quick. Spoke far too quick. I was rash in, in what I said. I was, I was quick to speak, quick to anger. I was slow in mercy. And the reality was that, that over time spent in the Word and a lot of rebukes from friends and pastors, I actually began to slow down in my words. I'm still slightly rash, but the beauty of it is that I am not as I once was. And so let's, let's point the word of God at, at all these areas of our lives. You know, it's impossible to coast through the Christian life. Absolutely impossible. I love coasting in the car. It uses not much fuel. I'm big into miles to the gallon. <laughs> I used to be big into smiles to the gallon, but, but no more. I'm big into miles to the gallon. But you know, it's impossible to coast through the Christian life. Either you're moving forward or you're moving backwards. If you follow Jesus, then following Jesus is an intentional uphill battle. I'd be lying if I told you that, yeah, you become a Christian, life is downhill, it's sweet, you coast, you're all good, you've got your golden ticket. That's, that's not the reality of it. Life following Jesus is an, is an uphill battle. And so therefore, we need to be intentional and focused on both being the light and bringing the light and bringing others to the light.
You know, Jesus told his followers during the Sermon on the Mount, you're the light of the world. And so, yes, we're, we're called to come to the light, Jesus. That's great. Because he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will no longer walk in darkness. And so that's great. We come to the light. That's, that's Jesus. Wow. So we're called to come to the light and follow the light. That's wonderful. But more than that, Jesus is actually saying, you're the light of the world. Wow, what a commission. What a commission. You're the light of the world. So, so the light of Jesus actually becomes light inside of us. Our lives will begin to reflect on the outside what God has put in us. I want to tell you today, uh, the body shape doesn't matter, but every single one of you who follow Jesus are actually moons. You're round moons. The moon doesn't give off any light of its own. It actually reflects the light of the sun. You know, I, I, I wanted to be, to be fit and have a good body and, and be six foot and all this, that, and the other whenever I was younger. And I had to settle for five foot four in a pot belly. <laughs> but the reality of it is that I am a moon because Jesus' light, the, the, the light of the sun shines in me and that, and that other people can hopefully see Christ in me. Can hopefully see Christ in me. So, you know what, I, I don't know what you think of your body shape, but those of you who follow Jesus, you're moons. That Christ shines on you. And so as Christ shines in you, our desires will begin to change. From self-focused to God-focused, from, from self-accumulating to self-giving. But what does that mean in practice, though? So if you're living as children in the light, then you'll be living to, to please the Lord. You, you'll become the church to please the Lord. you serve in church to please the Lord. You'll... Uh, you, you'll do lights, you'll, you'll do refreshments, you'll do all these things to please the Lord. You'll do your work in your, in your workplace to please the Lord. Not to become a, a super Christian, but to develop communion with Christ. To actually steward his presence and his power in your everyday ordinary life. And this brings us to motivation three. Motivation three, a new nature equals a new normal. There's a lot of ends. A new nature equals a new normal. In practice, this means that we don't just become the light, but we also carry the light. We illuminate others. We bring the light to others. Speaking words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Intentionally stepping into other people's lives with the very light that can set them free. And the truth is, we have what Dublin needs. Do you believe it? We have what Dublin actually needs. I had a class conversation last night in a pub with, with two people. And afterwards, I came away absolutely on fire because I knew that I carried something that, that these people needed. And it's not that I'm high and mighty or any of that, but I actually have a little bit of Jesus in me that, that this person needs. Now, that person didn't give their life to the Lord and, and become a disciple and get baptized there and then, but maybe, maybe it brought them on, on that ladder just slightly closer. J.D. Greer, a pastor in America, says, it is so easily spiritually... Uh, to slumber in the sleep of complacency. It is so easy spiritually to slumber in the sleep of complacency. Because we're living in a world that's like a grave. And what I mean is that the we risk becoming passive when God has called us to be active. You know, I, I don't mean to be on the go all the time. I don't, I don't mean that we're, we're meant to be on the go flat out, 100 mile hour all the time. Not at all. But rather, we're meant to be intentional with our time, intentional with our energy, intentional with our talents. You know, I, I'll just relax and hit snooze. No, I'll, I don't need a volunteer in ministry, snooze. It's too costly to me, missional snooze. Uh, you know, it's so easy to lie on that extra hour and, and avoid spending time with Jesus, snooze. It's so easy to, to avoid being, becoming intentional in our friendships and going deep with others, snooze. It's so easy to avoid the difficult conversation, snooze. It's so easy for us to be passive and just, and just 
just go on in the, in the Christian life with the golden ticket as if we don't have what others need. And, but the new normal is so evident in new believers. Now, for those of you who follow Jesus, do, do you remember the, the time you first came to know him? Remember what the next couple of months was like? Maybe, maybe it was a fire in your belly, a real zeal in your heart that, wow, there's, I've got something here. There's an urgency, isn't there? And so I, I think one of the greatest tragedies in, in this life is that, that sometimes seasoned Christians can lose their zeal and seasoned Christians can stifle the zeal of others. You know, I'm, I'm just going to stop here temporarily. Will you bow your heads? I want to pray. Um, Jesus, I, I pray for those of us who, who have lost our zeal, who have lost our urgency, who have lost the fire in our bellies. And, uh, and, and today, Jesus, on the, on the 24th of March, 2019, um, will you restore that? Will you bring it back? And may we be intentional as we carry that. Amen. You know, the new normal ought to, ought, ought to be those of us walking in the light, illuminating the darkest areas, bringing life, love, and hope to your workplaces, to your sports arenas, to your, your colleges, to whatever environment God has placed you. The new normal isn't just being the light, but bringing the light. And so Paul commands the Ephesians to walk in love, to walk in light, and finally to walk in wisdom. To walk in wisdom. So be careful then, be very careful then, how you live or how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Guys, the Christian life is a struggle. I'll tell you that. The Christian life is a struggle. And if we're, we're going to make it, we've got to declare war in the gravitational pull of the world. We've got to declare war in the gravitational pull of the world. A world that's dark, a world that's sleeping. And so how does Paul uh, tell us how to engage in warfare? He begins with a couple of commands. Be careful how you walk. So it says be careful how you live in the sheet, but be careful how you walk. It doesn't just say be, be careful on your walk, but be careful how you walk. Guys, we're all walking. We're all going in a particular direction. Paul's saying be careful how you walk. Verses 2, 8, and 15, we see this walking metaphor. Be strict about the life you lead. Think through your relationships. Think, think through your habits. Think through the goals. All in the light of God's word. Do you remember the parable of the sower where, where the, the man scatters the seed? And so what you find is that, that, uh, that a good majority of the seeds don't survive. And the seeds that didn't survive are the seeds that didn't go down deep enough. The seeds that actually didn't, uh, didn't root themselves. It's only when a seed penetrates deep enough into the soil that it can survive and thrive. We've got to drive the gospel deep enough into our hearts and into our minds. Deep enough so that it gets under our emotions, yeah? Deep enough so that it gets under our feelings, our experiences. Oh, you know them times when the gospel actually contradicts your experience? It's difficult. It's really difficult. I, I appreciate that. But we've got to drive the gospel deep into our hearts so it goes under our emotions, our feelings, our experiences, into the very foundation of our relationships, into the very foundation of our successes, our failures, our hopes and our habits. When the wisdom of God begins to take root in us, we are nourished and we are supplied by the Holy Spirit, constantly renewing our heart and mind, constantly he says, be careful how you walk, not as, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Fourth and final motivation, time waits for no man or time waits for no woman, time waits for no person. 
you're going to grow in God, you'll need to set parameters. You need to set parameters. You need to be intentional with your time. The phrase, make the best use of time in the Greek, literally means making the best use of every opportunity, making the most of every opportunity. So guys, I want to tell you, this isn't a command to busyness, but actually it's a command to intentionality. About being intentional and choosing to grow in God. Not just hopefully, hoping that it, it uh, organically happens. It doesn't. Choosing to be intentional and immersing yourself in God's word. Immersing yourself around men and women of God who are, are going to call you to greater. If you want to grow in God, then that's great. But are you immersed in the Bible? Are you immersed in, in devotion? Are you immersed in, in, in praise and prayer? Do you choose to devote time away from everything else to God? Time waits for no man. The fourth motivation is this. That the way you've limited time where we're at, and you know, it's what we say to our students. We have a good few students here. And the thing is, as a student, you've, even if you're a doctor, you've got more time as a student than you probably ever will in the rest of your life. So make the best use of it. Maybe some of you are only going to be here for a couple of years. Make the best use of that time here at Christ City Church in Dublin. Maybe, maybe some of you are only going to be in Dublin five years. Who knows? But make the best use of time in that five years. You know, one of my biggest fears, one of my very biggest fears is to waken up as a 35-year-old and realize that, oh, wow, what, what have I done the past 10 years? Oh, the sad thing is that's only six years away now. <laughs> But that's one of my fears that I waken up one day and realize that I've just been coasting along in this journey, just pretending, just going along with cruise control. You know, the way we live our days is the way we live our lives. The way we live our days is the way we live our lives. You know, what breaks my heart is more than just a backsliding Christian because these backsliding Christians are honest about where they're at with Jesus. Well, it breaks my heart as a passive Christian, one with cruise control set, destination keyed in, GPS, heaven, 25 years and three days away, whatever. It breaks my heart as a, as a passive Christian, somebody who has absolutely everything that Dublin needs and chooses to do nothing with it. Can I just invite the worship team back up again? As I close, Paul has given this. Paul is saying this in, in chapter 5 to equip a maturing church. You know, I, I don't know if, if, if you were here for our, our vision and, and values night. One of them five M's, that fifth M, I think, was to be a maturing church. We want to be a maturing church. Paul has given uh, this, this teaching, this letter to the Ephesian church to be a maturing church. And he's also giving it to Christ City Church that we might be a maturing church. If we want to be a maturing church in Dublin, it's not enough to have slick services. It's not enough to have, have good marketing, to have promotional material. It's not enough to bend the latest trends and phases. Our motivations have got to be grounded in Jesus, first and foremost. And so we're, we're, we're called to walk in love, imitating Jesus, throwing off the ill-fitting clothes having an urgency about our lives because of the common judgment. We're called to walk in light, putting on Christ and living out this new normal uh, as carriers of the light, people who bring the light to others. We've got to walk in wisdom, being intentional in every opportunity, knowing the time waits for no man. Guys, as I, as I close, I, I want to bring you to, to verse 18. 
Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Steve's going to teach on this next week. I'm only going to refer to it. See the word being filled? Our English is a poor language. It just says filled. In the Greek, that's actually a present continuous word. And for me, that causes me to have a lot of joy. Be filled with the Spirit. Present continuously. Continue to be filled with the Spirit. The, the beauty of it is, is, is that God's Spirit is poured out upon us, not as a one-off when we become a Christian, not as a two-off a couple of years later, but it's constantly. And you know what I want to encourage you is let's not grieve the Spirit because the, the beauty of it is the Holy Spirit has been poured out continuously, presently, continuously, right now today. Right now today. Will you, will you bow your heads with me? Um, Maybe there, there's some of you that have uh, uh, stepped on the, on the proverbial hosepipe where the, where the flow is no more or the flow is stagnated um, and you, and you recognise consciously that you're not as close with Jesus as you once were that you don't, you don't feel and know the promptings of the Holy Spirit as you once did uh, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond just where you're at um, right now let's ask Jesus let's ask God and let's ask the Holy Spirit the whole Trinity um, to, to come so Holy Spirit come come and do what, what only you can do uh, we, we lift our foot off the hose pipe and we allow the water to flow we allow the, the oil of the Holy Spirit to come and flow within us Come and drench us. Come and cleanse us. Come and move us from, from being passive to being intentional, active followers of Jesus here in Dublin. Jesus, we love you. We want you to be our motivation that when all else fails, you remain. The Father, no matter what happens, no matter our circumstance, that you are our motivation. You are our guiding light. That in the same way that everything fell around, fell apart around Job, and his wife even said to, to, to curse God and leave him, he, he said no. And may that be the case with us. Give us a, a, a steely resolve. Give us a grit to, uh, to follow you even when we don't feel like it, even when our experiences say otherwise, even when our emotions say otherwise. May your word get so deep and so grounded in our hearts that you are our motivation. You're the one we live for. You're the one we serve. You're the one that we love. And may those in Dublin see it this week. In your name, amen.